Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the Airwaves with Rear Admiral Brian Corey, Commander, Naval Air Warfare Center Weapons Division, and Assistant Commander, Test and Evaluation, and Miss Leslie Taylor, Deputy Assistant Commander for Test and Evaluation, NAVAIR. Our topic of discussion today is capabilities-based test and evaluation and how it fits within the framework of capabilities-based acquisition. So to begin the discussion, we'll start with you, sir, Rear Admiral Brian Corey. Uh, if we could start with the CNO, he's talking a lot about delivering capabilities to the fleet with far greater speed. Why is this so important now? Well, the entire world is changing more quickly now. You know, the one that people talk about is Moore's Law, of course. That's the easy one. But the threats are changing uh, much faster. And quite frankly, our threats are gaining on the, cap- on the uh, capabilities that our U.S. Navy has. So we must get better faster. So with that push to get faster, um, obviously speed is certainly a priority for NAVAIR. How will NAVAIR's focus on capabilities-based acquisition and digital transformation help us answer the CNO's call? So capabilities-based acquisition, is, the, the name obviously points to what we're trying to do. We're, we know when we go out to fill a fleet gap what capability we're trying to deliver. Yet in the past, we would get way down into the details, into a specification, etc. What we're trying to do is focus on the fleet's capabilities needs, and as they change, we change. And related to the digital transformation, our models, our model-based systems engineering, and our understanding of how these complex systems work by using the digital world that the um, that industry uses and having that the ability to communicate directly with industry using the same models at the same time we can avoid for instance a two-week delay while we do a systems engineering review and miss taylor you've served in several leadership roles here at navier can you give us your perspective on how acquisition specifically test and evaluation has evolved over the years uh, yes, certainly. I've uh, been around testing for about 30 years now, and originally when I became a flight test engineer, uh, everything revolved around a technical evaluation or tech eval, and the, the contractor would provide us a fairly mature system into developmental test and evaluation. Uh, through the mid-80s into the early 90s, we shifted a bit to what we call integrated test teams, and we also shifted the way we interact with industry. We became, I would say, a little bit more prescriptive in our specification that Admiral Corey referred to earlier. And then we we believed in the fact that if we got the specification correct, that we, in fact, would get the capability we originally spec'd. Uh, That played out pretty well in its its initial phases for things like the F-18, A through D, and EF. But as systems become much more complicated, it's very difficult to get the spec correct when it has to interact with other things in the battle space. No system is out there by itself, alone and unafraid. It's a much more complicated battle space. So that brings us to the point where we are now, where we're talking about capabilities-based test and evaluation inside the capabilities-based acquisition framework that allows us to uh, allow spec to be the fallout. Let's test to the capability. When we use the word capability, we really mean like an anti-submarine warfare type of capability, a mission thread. So I think that's the evolution that we're in the midst of. 
So it sounds like NAVAIR's test and evaluation focused on, quote, capabilities-based T&E for several years now. Where does capabilities-based test and evaluation fit within the broader acquisition and sustainment framework? Uh, a great question, because traditionally I think we uh, corporately think of T&E tacked on at the end around that critical design review phase. So where we talk about it now, Admiral Corey and I, is shifting left. It's baked in throughout that acquisition process. Uh, as we go into sustainment, anything we have in the fleet, we continue to upgrade and, and, and we still need to keep testing at that capability throughout the life of any of our systems and systems of systems. The other thing that um, is different does tie to that digital transformation and model-based system engineering and the digital thread um, and system engineering transformation. So those things are also further enablers to allow us to bring test and evaluation much further to the left uh, than we would have in our traditional uh, serial uh, system engineering process. Vice Admiral Grossclad's Navair Commander speaks often about the importance of starting with the end in mind. Ron McCorry, why is this so important and how would you say this relates to cbt &E? Yeah, so I'd like to pile on to what Ms. Taylor just said. Um, and so they, if we did test and evaluation exactly perfectly, we would not um, we would not be able to deliver on time let me let me explain that you have to have the models in order to do the capabilities based t and e you have to have the contract written correctly you have to get the data from the contractor so starting with the end in mind means that this th let's talk about an airplane or a weapon it needs to work in the fleet with all the other systems that are out there um, so the capability has to be the focus at the beginning and, as Ms. Taylor just said, all the way through the acquisition cycle into sustainment. But what if the end changes? How will CBA and CBTE help us adapt to changes in threats, technologies, and operational needs with greater agility? Well, I, I would take that question even a step farther. The end will change. The world is changing very, very quickly. And so, in the past, and when I say past, I'm talking three, four years ago, a program might be able to stand up and say, I know that the threat has changed, but I'm only required in my acquisition program to meet the following um, capabilities or the following key performance parameters. That is no longer acceptable. What that would, it would mean is we would deliver a product that would be irrelevant when we delivered it. So what we have to do is continually assess the threat, continuously assess technologies, and in the beginning, again, with the end in mind, we have to be ready to insert new technologies. We need, have to be able to adapt when the threat adapts. It is no longer acceptable to have a system that cannot adapt at the rate that the threat adapts. So speaking of that change, Ms. Taylor, how will CBTE change the way we interact with industry? The way we interact with industry today is traditionally rooted in that specification that we've given them. And then we uh, challenge ourselves with our contractor partners to come up with a test and evaluation ap approach that verifies that specification. Uh, how are our 
interactions with industry has to change is they have to have an equal understanding of the capability. We have to give them a set of tools that allow them to interact with, those, with the threat. And your question about the threat changing, if we give them those sets of tools, it also allows them to be more responsive. Uh, yes, we still are rooted in requirements, but we are here to support our programs, our PMAs, and OPNAV, and, and the CNO with information. The more we can provide industry the opportunity to have equal access and equal ability to speak the language that allows a decision maker to respond, the better. That, that piece of that has to mature, by the way. I mean, that's not something we, we do that well today. But think of it as a providing uh, the threat environment as government furnished equipment in a model-based approach that their models can then interact with. The other thing is we shift left is we partner with industry. We're there with them. This is our strategy on MQ25A, that we will be there with them. And if they uh, have input a sensor performance piece of their solution, of their material solution, and we interact with it uh, and watch them interact with our environment, we take credit for it. We call it for score in test and evaluation. We don't then repeat that when we get into our formal developmental test process. We already know it will work. And that goes to the speed comment earlier, and it, it increases speed, reduces cost, and gets us a better solution for the warfighter. So what are some of the efforts underway to enable CBTE and prepare our workforce to operate with more of a capabilities-based focus? Um, there's a couple, there are a couple of things underway and that have been un underway for a great deal of time, really. But we have developed a College of T&E course in our Navarre University, uh, Capabilities-Based T&E 101. Uh, we have the 201 level course for the actual practitioner. So there's training that goes along with how we do capabilities-based T&E. We also send people to mission training opportunities. So think of the Naval Warfare Development Centers. They have accepted some of our flight test engineers into their curriculum, and that gives them a really great understanding of mission. And the other mission training that we participate in is with our warfare analysis brethren in our competency-coded Air 4OM. They have come out to teach us the model suite that they use across air warfare, anti-submarine warfare, and anti-surface warfare. Uh, and then finally, because of our integration and interoperability uh, efforts over the past number of years, we are tied in to, again, those Naval Warfare Development Centers when they develop CONOPS and CONIMPS. So those concepts of operations, those concepts of employment, then further create that understanding from a test point of view of what is the test to the capability, what is the capability, and how do they intend to use these products that we're working on. So, Ryan McCoy, can you share a few success stories, uh, maybe some projects that have been able to go fast under the CBT and E construct? And, and then continuing that thought, tell me what we have we learned from that experience? Sure. Um, in the weapons world, uh, the one that, that is the, uh, the easiest to share is the LRASM program. So for several years, we worked on net-enabled weapons. We developed a government-owned model, a government-owned product, quite frankly, that, that has all of the standards. We continued that and, and we expanded that in the LRASM program. 
we built a kill chain test bed that allowed us through modeling and simulation to dramatically reduce the number of live fire tests, which are, are quite expensive. Um, and we not only did that, but we did it in a way that the government owns the software. The government owns all of the intellectual capital, and we did it in a weapon agnostic or a product agnostic way, and we have delivered it to other vendors. Um, so that is, is reducing the cost as well as increasing the speed. And as uh, our recently retired Keith Sanders says, I'm going to change his quote just a little bit for this podcast, but every program has discovery. And on the Elrazm program, what we've been able to do is get to that discovery point quicker than we would have otherwise. The second one is in an aircraft example, and uh, I'll kind of split it. Uh, it's similar, but, uh, but a little bit different. So I, I will talk about P8 increment 3. Uh, they have uh, increased the, uh, the speed and decreased the amount of test required by using a capabilities based uh, approach. And I'll keep the details out of this because of the classification of the medium, but uh, um, very similar and easier to talk about is 53K. And while that program is, uh, is, is uh, just underway and we can't, we can't talk about it being a success necessarily, we are reducing the time and the expense of flight tests by taking a capability approach by focusing on what that airplane is supposed to do, that aircraft. It's supposed to carry things. And by doing that, we have reduced a, a substantial amount of the tasks. And so what, what have we learned? First of all, um, we have relearned that every program is different, but by taking a capabilities-based approach, you might get different um, uh, challenges and different successes um, but uh, but you can you can approach the problem in a similar way. The other part is that we're probably not organized um, efficiently enough, and that our testers need to be involved earlier, as Ms. Taylor talked um, on some of the earlier questions. And our testers need to be more involved in the day-to-day -day business of the program uh, than has has taken place in the past, um, and that our testers need to evolve. And that's what, uh, what we have underway, as we mentioned, with the College of Test and Evaluation. And Ms. Taylor, over to you, some stories and lessons learned. I'll start with the lessons learned, uh, picking up where Admiral Corey left off with uh, our organization and, and that, that tighter connection needed with our research and engineering partners and uh, being able to move at the speed of trust and completely intertwined uh, from that upfront and early, right after we come out of an analysis of alternatives and we've decided there will be a material solution, you know, at the OPNAV level, as soon as we know there's going to be a material solution, we have to think about the design of the test that will allow us to get to that capability and the ability to march along in partnership with industry and our research and engineering brethren um, so that we can take credit. So I think those are some of the biggest lessons learned. And then as far as experiences, I do want to share a story uh, using our, our Section 219 funding opportunities to train our workforce. was actually a bit of a precursor to the story that, that Admiral Corey shared about Lorazem. We originally did an offensive anti-surface warfare pilot. Uh, this was about in the 2012 time frame. And the, the pilot itself had us using an E2C 
out of our manned flight simulator here at Patuxent River, communicating to a live F-18 at China Lake, the F-18EF. The EF has no I pilot has no idea he's not talking to a live E-2. It looks like an E-2 to him. Uh, he flew from the China Lake land range over to the Point Magoo Sea Range and launched a net-enabled weapon using the tool Admiral Corey referenced earlier, a virtual weapon. So my reason for telling that is we did that a number of years ago. It was a huge success. Uh, we did have to do some heroics to make all of our equipment work together uh, off across networks, and that's another lesson learned. Our infrastructure has to be responsive for us to be able to do this type of work. But the fact is, it was a resounding success. Um, so we can do these things. I think a lot of times we just need to be able to, it's easy to do a pilot because nobody's counting on the results. We've got to push the I believe button uh, at the end of the day. And sir, during our discussion on success stories, you started to mention a couple of challenges. So I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that. What are some of the challenges or barriers we've encountered or possibly will encounter as we move forward with CBA and CBTE? And how do you expect us to overcome those challenges? We're going to overcome the challenges by working together. And as I said, in our competency-aligned organization in the past, engineering could be um, somewhat separate from tests and evaluation. And engineering and tests and evaluation could be somewhat separated from uh, our logistics partners. And the 405060 folks that I just mentioned were largely separated from our contracts group. Um, although connected through our programs and our PEOs. If we're going to be successful in capabilities-based acquisition, how we write our requirements document with um, Navy headquarters or the Echelon 1, how we go on contract, the language about our, what is delivered through our contracts from our, our uh, uh, industry partners, we're going to be asking for day-to-day uh, -day access to models, for instance, as opposed to what we might get in, in paper in a cedral in the past. So, so the challenges are going to be that we have to all learn to work together, and we're all very busy, and we all have to change, um, and, and that, that is not going to be simple. The next part about CBT&E is that our test and evaluation people um, are going to have to change their, their approach. We do have people that wear their 20, 30-year scars on their sleeves. I remember when that airplane did not work. Those models were not accurate. I'll believe it when it hits the flight line. Um, and, and simply, you know, we cannot get to the speed that we need to improve our capabilities with that type of attitude. So they're going to have to get more involved in the program earlier. They're going to have to take uh, credit for SCORE, as Ms. Taylor said, uh, much earlier in the program so that when we do these complicated systems of systems flight tests, we do the absolute minimum and we verify that the product works. One of the things we take great pride in the tech, test and evaluation community is that we find out what does not work in our products before the fleet has to pull the trigger, before they have to launch off the aircraft carrier. So our challenge is very simply, how are we going to minimize those problems and how are we going to find them earlier? How are we going to find them before we hit the flight line? And I'm confident that we'll do that. 
but we'll do it together. And so closing up our podcast today, I guess I want to pick both of your brains one more time. And speaking of that confidence, sir, what makes you confident now there in the Knox can deliver on the CNO's challenge to go fast and harness the digital revolution? Well, the reason I'm so confident is I'm watching it every single day. I just left a meeting where I saw some some very uh, junior personnel that have found a new way to collaborate. They're putting in secure uh, wireless communications and they're putting in a, a chat on the classified network so that our NavAir employees can collaborate just as people do at Google or just as they do at Amazon or any of the other world-class businesses that have been changing so rapidly on the outside world. I'm, I'm confident because we, uh, we shot a, uh, a solid fuel ramjet for the first time in decades. We did it in 100 days from the task. Uh, we just shot a prototype target. We did that in 190 days from the, the go uh, situation. Uh, very, very complicated things, and we're training our, our uh, employees how to collaborate. We're training them how to change. We're training them how to challenge barriers, and we're training them to meet their commitments. So I'm, I am absolutely confident that we are going to continue to be a world-class uh, organization, and, and we're going to be a model uh, for the Navy in meeting CNO's goals. And I'll, I'll chime in on that, that uh, thinking and, and share that my confidence along, along with what Admiral Corey just said is in our people. They show us every day that they are taking this on board. Uh, I also recently conducted a senior level uh, technical interchange meeting. We did a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats assessment. But out of that, what came out of that glaringly was the focus on delivering integrated warfighting capability and that the TNE contribution to that is capabilities-based TNE. Uh, the passion resides in our workforce and they frankly are motivated by seeing the things that they are working on get across that goal line into the hands of the operational uh, testers to do that last final independent assessment and then fielded to the warfighter. Well, I'm Corey, Ms. Taylor, thank you so much for a fantastic discussion on capabilities-based test and evaluation and how it fits within the framework of capabilities-based acquisition. That's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thank you for listening.